Hey, welcome to James Crowley's Infinite Playlist, the podcast where I try to hear every song that has ever existed, a podcast on the Lughole Network. And today I am bringing you the second half of my conversation with my girlfriend, Emmy Alberano, about classical music. It's really weird to say I'm bringing you a conversation with someone that I literally talk to every single day. Uh, But I'm recording this on Tuesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Happy Jawbreaker Day. I hate stuff. Star Wars. Um, so if something crazy happens in the next week and I don't comment on it on this intro, that is why. Uh, it's a great conversation. Emmy is super knowledgeable about all this stuff, and uh, it's really fun. But before we get into that, you could follow her on Instagram. She is underscore and underst- uh, underscore underscore e dot k dot a uh, on Instagram. You can also follow me on Instagram at James P. Crowd. Uh, I'm at James P. Crowley on TikTok. I'm at James P. Crowley 68 on Twitter. Um, I'm writing. I'm still looking to pitch to places and write about cool things that are happening. So feel free to send me emails if you want me to write about something. Jimmy Crowley 68 at gmail.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y-C-R-O-W-L-E-Y 68 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, this is a great conversation. Emmy is super knowledgeable. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, you know. Uh, yeah, so let's get right into it. We just finished talking about Clara Schumann, and it is very ironic that I'm recording this on Star Wars Day, and I just said that I I hate Star Wars, given the next thing we're about to talk about. Uh, enjoy, and if you like the podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Uh, let's get into it. Bye. keep on rolling along (laughs) into my next pick which was the imperial march by john williams from star wars this and i think it's fitting coming after the bryce desner song that feels like Mm. war um you know where this one's a lot more cool and suave but this very similar emotions Mm -hmm. uh that being said to me it feels like cheating because i hate star wars I was actually very surprised when you picked this because later on in my playlist I also picked a John right. Williams song and I feel like it is not a classical playlist unless you mention John Williams and his brilliance. Right. And um, I thought about including the Harry Potter theme because mm-hmm. that's also that's another I was literally going so between a Harry I, Potter theme and what I picked. There are so many iconic 
uh, themes that John Williams wrote. I was thinking about Jaws also. Mm-hmm. You know, those two notes are incredibly simple. Minor second. Um, but when it kind of comes to pieces that I really love from the guy, I really... I don't like Star Wars. I don't like Star Wars at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm willing to give them another shot. But I feel like, like if you give it another shot, you should definitely talk to Patty about it because Patty was, anybody who's listening, Patty is my younger brother. Um, and during the beginning of COVID, my brother made me fall in love with Star Wars the way he did. But did you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out of cutting the Star Wars talk, but did you already like Star Wars? No. I never liked or Star were you Wars. Indifferent. No, I never liked it. I never really understood. I feel like when I was younger, the biggest thing for me in like that kind of like mythical setting was Harry Potter, and right. nothing in the world could have ever topped it. And I, I have cousins, I have family that love Star Wars. Of course, I know the music. Of course, I know Yoda. Of course, I love R2D2. Like you know, I, I, I know it all. But whenever I sat down to watch it, I couldn't. I didn't have the attention span for it. I didn't really care about it. And then I started watching um, Clone Wars and The Mandalorian with Patty. Patty would watch it all the time. And then I remember just kind of, he would watch it in the living room and I'd be sitting there and I'm like, well, that's pretty interesting. And you didn't really need to know about Star Wars or watch anything. You only had to know the basics, which you know the basics. And so right. all you had to do was know who was who to really get into it. And then I was like, okay. And then throughout the month of March, Patty just went on the Star Wars streak. And I was like, I guess I could just sit here and watch it. And then like, once I saw all the puzzle pieces come together, I'm like, this is a world I can get into. Will I ever love it as much as I love Harry Potter or anything at, or like Jurassic Park or anything? No, but I have a new respect for it. Right. I, 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 and I mean, I, I will always joke and I will be like, yo, Star Wars sucks. It's going to be you a know? part of your brand, right. so you can't ever right. go I, back. I'm always like, yo, fucks, uh, you know, and I, you know, when, what's her name, Gina Carano got fired, I was like, I would have fired everyone that's ever been in a Star Wars oh, movie duh. for those awful, m- but, you know, and I respect Star Wars for what they do, if I'm being serious. And I think that everything kind of surrounding Star Wars is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of, discussing the ins and outs of the series is fun and funny um but it it, there's a chuck klosterman quote where he says talking about music was always more interesting than listening to music it's true could be the you know tagline for this entire podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) um that's kind of how i feel about star wars i kind of really like like that line where i'm because it makes sense in my head right where i'm coming from a musician (laughs) Where I'm kind of like, oh, you know, everything about Star Wars is much more interesting than Star Wars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I kind of love that, like, John always sends me Star Wars things and we talk about it. But, like, I'm just like, dude, I never loved it up until I was 25 years old. Right. But so anyway, I this song I've, I've heard a million times mm-hmm. and I, I do really like it. And I like the way that it's used when it comes to those movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a certain like coolness and suaveness when it comes down to it. This John Williams is just, <laughs> I mean, it, iconic. Like he and the fact that I might meet him in my future is unreal. Right. But like. There is there is just a big part in my heart for him. And I think it's just because of when you think about your childhood and you think about the songs that you attach your childhood with, There's it, so is, many it is John written. Williams and John yeah. Williams only. 
Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, oh, <laughs> this is going to be kind of a crass comparison, but listening to a lot of John Williams songs, especially this, n- reminds me a lot of like a lot of my favorite Kanye songs. <laughs> oh, um, my God. In really? the sense that like they're cool. Like I, I guess I like Kanye when he's emotional. I like Kanye when he's weird. But like Kanye is my favorite Kanye when Kanye is cool. Kanye. Right. I love listening to power. I love listening mm, to that makes sense. You know, I feel like even though John Williams is like a cute little old man with white hair, white beard and glasses, like he just exudes cool all the time. Absolutely. But let's keep on rolling along into your next pick, which was the double cello concerto RV 531 by Antonio Vivaldi. That's just, RV is kind of like opus. That's just what um, Vivaldi used to use. And when you say these pieces, you don't necessarily need to talk about, like, I'm just teaching (laughs) you, man. You can just be like the double cello concerto and, you know. Okay. I mean, I guess the RV makes sense because Vivaldi wrote so many pieces and he wrote a few double cello concertos. But this is going back to what we said in the beginning, that Vivaldi sounds like rock and roll. When I first heard this piece... I'm like, this is rock rhythmic. and roll. It's so rhythmic. It again, like technically, it's like, again, coming from like somebody who studied, like who plays an instrument. It's like at like the like bottom part of the bow where all of the strength and the grit is, and it's you clap on the first and thirds for real. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just so cool. I, I remember I, I never got to play it because I, I was never to. able to. I never got to play it because I never. Um, had a ch- another person that was like will I went to a state school and I was in a performing you arts were school. The only I was one of the only cellists. There were probably like four to five of us on campus. And um I never really had somebody who I could play it with. And it's still something I always wanted to do. It's just so much fun and you can even hear it. It's rhythmic. It's fun. And I mean that's really one of the main reasons why I chose it. And there's two cellos and two is better than one. So absolutely. What did you think of it? No, I just I like uh, I liked it because it was lively, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it Vivaldi is lively. He's a very happy guy, right? And I think that's kind of like that's what I liked about a lot of your playlists, where I where I felt like a lot of mine was solemn and kind of droning. I felt like yours had a lot of movement in it, mm-hmm. and it made me with me a music. I like a lot of rhythm, and I like a lot of beauty. Yeah, um, and whether that beauty is either graceful and so- or solemn, like. I want it to sound beautiful. But what your playlist reminded me of, especially with the Bryce Desner song, like it was very much chaotic and lively. And But yeah, so I mean, that that's a version of a song where all, all of my pieces are very pretty. This one is like gritty and fun and yeah. lively and rhythmic yeah. so, and rock um, and roll. 
And I think for me, I veer towards darkness. Yeah. Um, in general. You sad? No way. <laughs> no, but no like, way. Uh, but like, not even in the sense of like sadness, but sort of like, you know. Uh, Anyone that's listening to this podcast knows I grew up listening to Marilyn Manson. Mm -hmm. And like even when Marilyn Manson was doing pretty songs, you know, hopefully they weren't about underage girls, but also, you know, they were dark and goth. Yeah. And I veered towards that. Um, and I feel like the darkness really shows in my next pick, which was the Earl Koenig by Franz Schubert. trying to go for the German pronunciation Das Earl King Das Earl King um, <laughs> um, the one year that I took music theory um, this uh, I don't know why but my teacher in high school had sort of a fixation on Schubert Schubert's awesome Schubert is again sad and gay and um <laughs> He's, I didn't know that. But. Yeah, sad and <laughs> gay. He and he's like sad, a little piggy looking guy. Hold on, I'm going to pull up a picture. Because when I think of Schubert, I just think of his face. And it makes me kind of happy. The, I feel like I would have been his friend growing up. The other one I end up thinking about, I I don't even know if it, this was the name of the song, but DeForella. Look at that little guy. Uh, yeah, he does kind of have he's a, a little pudgy. little. Oh, He's so awesome. But DeForella, the one about the salmon or the fish. Mm -hmm. DeForella Schubert, DeForella That was Yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah. I remember that was like what he said to us. But the Earl King was a big one for us. And the specific arrangement I chose, I veered away from vocal, but I think the vocal I was hoping you would say that because I was like, why did you choose this and not the vocal one? Because I expect it to be like, dun 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 and then boom, right, vocal, which but is I didn't get that. incredibly powerful. I yeah. chose this to kind of try to match your mostly no, instrumental No, never playlist. match me. Um. <laughs> I always go for originals, which is what happens in the next half of your playlist where I'm like, why? Um. <laughs> but, um, no, Earl King is awesome. I love, you know, it's Earl like King. goth rock. It's goth rock. And Earl King is the first. Everything so Schubert. Yeah. So Schubert was the first of the romantic era. So Schubert came shortly after Beethoven. And Beethoven, we all know, is one of the most famous classical musicians. But the next era after classical was romance. And Schubert was that bridge between Beethoven and um, the romantic era. And this was the first... Um, I didn't realize this was a Goethe poem. <gasps> I did know this. Yeah. Was, now so that you say it, I remember that it's a Goethe poem. Yes. So anyway, I had to ask uh, Jimmy about pronunciation with a poet because all of my pronunciation is based on musicians and not poets. But again, so Schubert was the first to do a German lead. German lead is basically a German song based on a poem. And um, this song was based off of the literature from 
Goethe's poem, Goethe. The Earl King. And Earl King is like another folk tale. Goethe also wrote Faust. I don't know. Are you familiar yeah, with yeah, Faust? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I yeah. know the name, but just don't know how to pronounce it. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all of my brain matter went to music. So fuck you, poets. <laughs> so, um, but Schubert was Goethe's the first. Not whatever. But I mean, Schubert thought it was pretty great. Probably fucked each other too. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody was drunk and gay. I mean, Schubert died of syphilis. So. Straight people can get syphilis. It's true, but back this then is like it wasn't. Gay panic. <laughs> Homophobic. Problematic. No, but that's back then that was it I, though. I know, I'm joking. They were like, you got syphilis and died because you're gay. So <laughs> I don't know. Um I know that's not true. You know that's not true. Schubert's doctors were like, You gonna die today. Um but he was the first um composer to be like, I'm gonna take this beautiful poem and set it to music. And this became a very, very common practice amongst the Romantic era. Like, you know, composers were inspired by a piece of music or there's a little, um, there's a little era of music between Romantic and um, century, like like modern mid-century composers. And, excuse me. And um, that's Impressionism. And Impressionism, similar to art, is where Every single composer during that era looked at a piece of music and was like, I feel this, I'm gonna write this into music. And Schubert was like the leader of that because he was the first person to take a piece of literature, a poem, and set it to music. And also Earl King, again, is like dark, kind of grungy. It's a right. very, well, very dark folktale. Yes. Um, you know, and that's kind of it, it's it's the Grim Reaper. I yeah, mean, the for, Elf King. Right, for lack of a better word. That's what they say. That's how it. I mean, that's oh. what it translates. It translates to Elf King. Right. But even though we think elves are these cute little creatures, right. it was, then it was darkness. not. It was a. Yeah. It was the Grim Reaper. And I mean, and I think that the way Schubert kind of does it, it it very much speaks to you know your you know. It kind of, it kind of makes you think of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. In the That's sense, what it, like, it's. It's a very scary. Right, like poem. you're driving home, and like it, it, it's almost like Psycho. Yeah, like, the story. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I learned about the Earl King, with the Grim Reaper trying to get a man's son. Yeah, it's and something the son, like that. And then he's trying to protect the son from death, and he can't. Right. And so and the son dies. Right. And it's very dark. It's very emo. Um, Which is why you like it. Right. And I and I mean, when you listen to it, with uh, you know. Listeners are going to hear the orchestral version, mm. uh, which I also really like, and I think it's does such it a very great line. A like when I when I heard that, when I saw that on your on your place, I was like, bum, bum, bum. it's just exactly. so like. And yeah. I think it works very well in the orchestral version, uh-huh. but when you listen to it with the singer, you know he typically a big deep voice you know just kind of howling almost you know you mm-hmm. kind of almost think of like a screaming jay hawkins yeah um so i don't know, i i love this it i also it's wrote awesome. that it reminds me of cradle of filth and i love that when um, we first started talking you were like i love the earl king i'm like <gasps> <laughs> like he hates he's smart <laughs> no he's <laughs> smart he gets me <laughs> he actually knows what i like to do um Let's keep on rolling along into your next pick. One of my notes is going to sound really dumb when I get to it, but Sir Edward Elgar's mm-hmm. Cello Concerto in E Minor, Opus 85. Uh.
I have so many feelings about this piece. So, you know, earlier I was like, you Befo- don't need So, before you get into your feeling, just because you're going to go and I'm going to sound like an idiot. Right. You want to go first? I'm going to go first. <laughs> where I basically just said that it's solemn, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of all that I really took away from it. I thought that it was very nice, very pretty. You know, um, for me, I also wrote that it blends into Vivaldi, which makes sense because they're both cello concertos. Yeah. Now that I'm like looking at it side by side, I'm like, oh, yeah. That wasn't on purpose. That just kind of right. happened. But I remember the first time I was listening, I was like, I had the Vivaldi and I was like, okay, this is something different. Okay, now we're going to make this cello And then I was like, now okay. we're going to slow it down but a bit. I'm listening <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, same song, got a little slower. Yeah, yeah, no, that (laughs) makes sense. And that's just because I'm an idiot. Mm. No, this piece is one of the most famous cello. And there's a few cello concertos I could have chosen, but this one at the time, you know, it means a lot. It doesn't really mean a lot to me. I think I just, I don't know. I just love this piece so much. It's, I know earlier I was saying how, um, you know, you don't need cello concertos and you don't need concertos to show how, how beautiful a so- how beautiful like a piece of music is. But this is one of those concertos where I'm like, ah, but this one though is so beautiful. Um, when I was working at Columbia before they closed down, which is still devastating to talk about, um, the biggest tour, orchestra tour I was ever gonna work on was the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. And this was the this was the um, the concerto that they were choosing to bring. Um, I was touring, uh, they were, you know, I was going to work on this big tour with really big, huge soloists, huge conductor, like big names, and this beautiful, gigantic piece. And I was so ready to sit at Carnegie Hall and listen to this thing. It's and the ch- it's just it was so beautiful. Um, um, I'm still upset that I wasn't able to do that. Hopefully in 2022, 2023, this could happen. I can finally sit in Carnegie Hall and listen to this. talking about 2023. <sighs> it's the only thing that's giving me strength. But honestly, you know, whatever. Um, you know, but I remember when we were like booking this tour, we were talking about making this tour happen. I would just work and have my headphones plugged in. And all I did was listen to this piece. It just brings me back to being like, very happy and solidified in my career and like super excited for my future ahead. And um, that's kind of what I identify this piece with. I mean, I don't really have any feelings about Elgar. I don't really have any feelings about the piece of music in general. Um, I just have a lot of like personal mushy feelings towards it. So I mean, like I had to include it because of, you know, how it made me feel professionally. Um, so this is kind of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, when, so when I'm writing about, you know, I don't know, uh, the Harmony Woods record, I'm sitting there listening to Harmony Woods as mm-hmm. I'm writing about it. And like I'm doing that as I'm prepping, as I'm taking notes, you know, I just have that one record over and over again. Mm-hmm. So as you're booking a tour, do you put on the music I that do. they're going to play. I do. I mean, you know, th- obviously there's a lot of things that I already know about certain pieces when I'm, um, you know, when, you know, the tour is just like, these are the programs we're thinking about bringing. And then me and my team, we would talk about, um, well, which pieces are worth bringing. Um, 
And I mean, I haven't heard, I've never heard this piece live. And I was so excited too, because I'm not gonna get like the soloists names involved or anything that's not really worth it. But I was so excited for the soloist. I was ready to be their friend. I was ready <laughs> for them to like come to New York because we were around the same age and I was just like ready to like make this person love me. We can talk about like, I very much overly romanticized this tour. Um, <laughs> but I was so excited. This, pie this, this piece brought a lot of like happy professional memories when right now it makes me very sad to think about. Um, but yeah, when we do book tours and I look at like the pieces they're bringing, I will listen to those constantly right. because I want to know every note because when I'm sitting, finally hearing it live, I'm so stoked. Because like I could listen, when I was in college, I listened to these pieces dozens and dozens of times every single day and I had to know so much information about them. Right. But I was in college. I wasn't going to Carnegie Hall every night listening to it. I was right. finally able to like experience experience the these things and like that's one of the things hard. why i miss my job so much you know yeah. the arts are really suffering please help your artist friends um we're not doing well and like you know i loved being able to hear my favorite pieces ever created live in iconic halls like carnegie hall and david geffen at lincoln center like that was it for me so you know i'm very excited for when i can finally hear this piece um, live at Carnegie Hall in 2022. Yeah, um, <laughs> late 2022. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is just a piece that brings a lot of like happy professional and also reminds me like why I'm still fighting to do what I want right. to do. Absolutely. Well, As my heart is leaking all over the floor, let's go on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep on rolling along to the next that. one because I'm, I'm sad. To say. <laughs> my next pick was... Uh, Edward Griggs in the Hall of the Mountain King as performed by Trent Reznor and Atticus. Yeah, I was about to say, this is not Griggs. I don't know what you're talking about. And this is where I get mad. <laughs> social network i did and like granted i know that that whole scene in the social network is very intense and like this version makes sense for that but i'm like if you're gonna choose in hall of the mountain king you might as well just choose an original uh, maybe but i want it i want to have fun you wanted the Trent robotic Res dramatic Trent modern Resner version was in nine inch nails okay oh I, my god i'm keeping goth rock going my <laughs> guy no it makes sense so tell me so you tell me why you like it so much because it's a goth conversion of this song. <laughs> I like this song. It's great. It's a classic. And I it mean, is. you know, there's This is like the uh, like let me tell you something and And I, what I will say, I put in my notes that it's kind of silly because it is. It is. It's it, you know, when you listen to this on its own, it almost sounds like it almost sounds like it comes out of a Tim Burton movie. Yes. Like this could be in like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate yes. Factory. Um 
Absolutely. You know, but I still think that it's very well done. And I also think that like when Reznor and Ross <laughs> were doing this arrangement, I think that they were having that sort of fun with it. And they, it, I heard them in an interview. Please stop humming. <laughs> it's so hard not to. But I think that as Reznor and Ross were doing this, they were kind of having that same sort of fun. And I watched interviews with them afterwards and they were mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we kind of figure everyone has to take a stab at it in the Hall of the Mountain King at some point. Absolutely. Lives, so that's uh, what that's I was going to say. So. Like in Hall of the Mountain King is like, here's your little insider to every classical musician's brain, every orchestra in Hall of the Mountain King will always be the encore, no matter what. <laughs> it's because everybody knows it. It gets people like ramped up and like, you know, excited. Right. What I will say too about this, I had to Google who had actually written in the Hall of the Mountain King because. I don't know. Uh, that hurts me. Has he ever done anything else noteworthy? Greek, no, the Greek, that, this is the most, I think, f- I, I know Greek pieces, but the average this guy is his won't. Don't stop this is, yes. <laughs> this is like, in his grave, he hears it and he's like, God damn it, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this is probably something he like this wrote is in his, his creep. sleep. Yes. <laughs> like, why? Like, banging his head against his grave. Like, why do they keep playing this goddamn piece? cherry pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watch the interview with Janie Lane from Warrant talking about ch- cherry pie. <laughs> it's a very okay. good interview. He did not like that song. <laughs> 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 so it's good to know that even the classical composers that probably had to put a lot oh more work God. than Janie Lane did. Yeah, we, we, we have our own pieces where it's like, God damn it, why are you playing this shit? Um, but yeah, so I I chose this version very consciously because I think that it I think that it fits me very well. I'm fully yeah. aware that there are probably better versions of this song. No, but you chose the modern one, and I respect it. I mean, it's not you know, it's fine. Um, we have another piece later on that I'll I'll talk a little bit more about how I resisted certain I know urges. I w- I know what you're talking about. Um. But do you have anything else to add about? No, nah, I'm good. All right, well, let's keep on rolling along into your next pick, which was um, the theme from Jurassic Park by John Williams. <laughs> Tell the story first, because I think that it's funny. Go right ahead, boo. So we met on Hinge. We did. Um, you know, <laughs> and... <laughs> Sorry. I got all giddy inside. Um, so, you know, on Hinge, you can kind of choose your pictures from your different um, <laughs> I know you're going media. with this. And... I remember uh, you had a joke about classical music. You were like, oh, classical. I'll win every classical music question on Jeopardy. I do. I remember that. And but I remember as I was scrolling along, you could see the captions you put on Instagram. Mm -hmm. If you like the (laughs) photo. 
And I remember I was looking through all the pictures on um, Instagram, uh, on uh, Hinge, and I was like, captions, yeah. well, hey, in this one, she doesn't look the same. And I tapped it, and it was a girl with a dinosaur. <laughs> girl and with a dinosaur said, mask. Right, a girl with a dinosaur, a girl and someone with a dinosaur mask, and it said, "John Williams wrote the Jurassic Park theme for me." And I remember that was the one picture that I was like, uh, "I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the girl that I want to go out." Oh my with. god! Um, By the way, I mean this just shows how dumb men are. Like the girl next to me was one of my friends who's very clearly a brunette, and in all of my photos, I am very clearly a ginger. <laughs> like, but so I was kind of like, uh, I don't know, and then like. On our first date, I think I think it was our first date. You showed me the video of you wearing a dinosaur mask, dancing to this song, um, <laughs> which I mean, so is much funny. But, but that was a moment. Uh, you know, I, I probably know, didn't no, show she's going to get a face. second date. <laughs> well, I probably didn't show it on my face, but I was like, oh, she was the one in the dinosaur mask. In Are her you serious? Photo. You're. <laughs> I I, I, sh- I need to repeat. Boys are just like doorknobs. They're just like, uh. I've told you that before. But, no, you um, didn't. Yes, I have. Um, oh, it didn't stick. Tell me about the theme from Jurassic Park. Again, like I knew I had to go into this playlist, you know, making. I had to pick John Williams somewhere. Little did I know you were also going to pick John Williams. So I'm like, I guess I'm not original. Um, and I chose between this and Hedwig's theme from, you know, Harry Potter. But I'll be I was honest, like, I probably wouldn't have included John Williams if you didn't include John Williams. So no, but it's, it's okay. I, I wasn't like, original. I mean, like, look, he is so iconic and he is like, he is the leading, um, you know, neoclassical, like cinematic um, composer ever. And he's going, to, that's going to be his legacy forever. Um but I, this is just one of my favorite pieces. You know, it sends chills down my spine every time I listen to it. My mom was obsessed with Jurassic Park. I'm obsessed with Jurassic Park. And I am obsessed with seeing the dinosaurs com- like roar over this song. I like the climactic parts. There's no other mushy feelings. It's just one of my favorite it's cinema. A, it's, it's a great just, song. It's, and it's it reminds iconic. me of childhood. It reminds me of home. It reminds me of my mom. And it's fucking awesome right. it's beautiful so I think, I think other than maybe the star wars theme i think that this is probably john williams most famous song i would maybe say Jaws. i would say harry potter before that because a lot of people I aren't as into jurassic park as they're into harry uh, potter i still think jurassic park gets more view time than true harry potter does. jurassic park did come first right. but like and i i think that a lot more people see jurassic park than <laughs> see um harry potter just because of the nature of it i hope um, they can hear this in the background they can't um <laughs> gonzaga may have just lost oh man um, basketball is a very gnarly sport in the crowley household let's keep this going with my next pick um which was crazy gonzaga did just lose <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna introduce the song and then i'm gonna google it so give like a pause but my next song was um Moonlight Sonata by Ludwig van Beethoven. Ludwig.
German. W makes a V sound. I know. Then why'd you say wig? Because we're in America. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, what it's do you tied. It's an overtime. That's it. Um. I hate when sports interjects my <laughs> life, when it, especially when it comes to music. So, speaking of the old Ludwig van. <laughs> <laughs> Ludwig uh, van Beethoven. Um. I'm actually glad that I chose this song and this version. Instead as of the original? Well, what's the original? Just piano. This was kind of just what came up when I searched for this. Oh, my God. I could have just chosen the piano version. But what I was tempted to do was, have you ever seen The Clockwork Orange? Absolutely. Um, I was tempted to include one of the Clockwork Orange versions. I would have had Beethoven more respect song. for that. Oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't want to do two more. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be like, all right, let's do the weird synthy versions of Beethoven. Yeah. Um, you know, and A Clockwork Orange was uh, like one of my favorite movies for a stretch of time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably doesn't reflect very well on myself <laughs> saying that. I mean, I feel like as kids, we always overly romanticize that movie. Yeah, it's dark. It's edgy. You yeah, know, it's hipster. Dumb. It's, yeah. you know, right. And the book's great. Um, mm-hmm. but I never so read the book. I need to. The book has a different ending. Um, yeah, so I've heard. But so, you know, I kind of thought it would be fun to... I almost was like, oh, let's do the ninth. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> don't include the ninth, you mm-hmm. know. Malcolm McDowell is an incredible actor, but I chose Moonlight Sonata because it's probably Beethoven's most famous piece. Maybe it's up there. It's up. It's up there. I wouldn't yeah. say the most. That's a big stretch. He's kind of. I think Symphony Number no. Five is. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was yeah. tempted to include that too, but that would be basic. I don't think um, it would have been basic. I think I would have had a lot of talk about with that one. Um, I love Symphony Five. But I don't know. This is soothing, but also ominous. Mm-hmm. I felt, and oh, like it kind ominous. of feels like there, you know, it kind of feels like there's something lurking in the darkness, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. you're kind of calm. Beethoven was really good at that. I I think I overly romanticize Beethoven because he is the definition of one of the OG battered souls in music. He was a very broken man. Yeah. He was very depressed. You know, his dad would like lock him in the basement until, you know, he was able to compose something worth bringing outside into the world. Um, but, you know, Moonlight Snot is absolutely gorgeous. Um, Beethoven's story is absolutely heart wrenching. Um, I don't really know if I have any other words to say. I just love Beethoven. <laughs> Um, again, like he was one of the classical composers that was the bridge between classical and romantic. And I think, you know, because the romantic era is so based on feeling and emotion that like when I think of the romantic era, everybody just thinks of Beethoven because they see all of his heartache in every piece he writes. Um, one of the he's things awesome. I always think about with Beethoven if I've ever told you this. This Probably not. This be interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember um, my first kind of, my first exposure to Beethoven was 100% hearing. Oh, yeah. But my first like It's so much fun to, to play Beethoven, too. Let me like, just put that out there. As a person was, when I was in third grade, um, we had a school assembly where a guy that was basically like, 
You know how there are like Elvis impersonators? Yeah. This guy was a Mozart impersonator. Mozart's obnoxious. But go on. Right, but he's fine. Amadeus is a classic for a reason. <laughs> um, it is. And it's so weird because even though I know Amadeus is a complete stretch of the truth, when you hear Mozart's music, it just makes sense. Like that character. Right. And it's fun. And I mean, from and what that, I've And there are parts that people, you know do say that that's what his personality from what was I've, like right from what i've read about like the historical mozart he was kind of he was kind of like i think if mozart was alive today he might be telling fart and wiener jokes yeah. he's mics. a man child <laughs> he's a man child um he'd be like in seth rogan movies absolutely <laughs> but so i remember at the very end he mentioned uh, like towards the end of the assembly the guy said like oh you know yeah, so as I was, uh, you know, working on these things, you know, I, you know, I started taking on students, and he said one of my students grew up to be very famous, and then he played Beethoven's Fifth, and he goes, he was a guy named Beethoven, which I don't even, I never fact-checked um, whether or not Beethoven actually studied under Mozart. I think they met, they absolutely met, Beethoven was very young, um, I don't recall Mozart teaching Haydn taught who's another very like straight classical musician Haydn taught Mozart I don't think Mozart taught Beethoven but I know that they they knew each other and they talked because Beethoven was prolific by the time he was when he was a child right so I know that they met and they talked um but I don't know if but Mozart so that taught was like him. My first exposure. That was also the first piece of writing I remember ever getting an A on because my teacher was like write an essay about Mozart, and I wrote a biographical paper about Mozart and I got an A. Biographical? Yeah. Wow. Granted, it was based on things from the assembly, and it was basically to make sure we were paying attention, <laughs> and I got an A. <laughs> right. um, and then the next year we did a play. Um, called of mice and mozart <laughs> which uh, is really stupid i've heard but of it that was, before though i think it's like a common thing yeah but it was about mozart's life and um i was cast as mozart oh you told me this i have yeah told you yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah so that's awesome there will be a little bit more mozart but let's uh bring oh, this on there's mozart coming with your last pick which was salamanca by alistair frazier and natalie, natalie teacher at Oneonta took me and my friend Taylor, Taylor Clark, and she was a violinist, amazing violinist. Um, and we didn't really know each other at the time, but shortly after this, we became completely inseparable. So the teacher at Oneonta, Marie Tucker, she was completely enamored by fiddle music. 
Irish, Celtic, Irish, Scottish, Celtic fiddle music. And she's like, I want to teach students how to do this. And I remember, you know, fiddling around, <laughs> pun intended, and, you know, she's like, I want to see Taylor and Amelia, like, after class. And we're like, fuck, okay, what do we do? And she's like, what do you guys know about fiddle music? We're like, we don't really know much. <laughs> and she's like, well, do you know Irish music? We're like, yeah. And she put music in front of us, and we started playing it. And fiddle music looks very different from your average, like, you know, classical music. You know, you just get chords and you kind of get rhythms and you base it off that. And once we started playing it together, we looked at each other and we're like, did our heart just become one? And um, that became my partner, literally, through college. You know, we did so many things together. We did every, we did every chamber group. We did every orchestra thing. We, everything we did was together. Um, and she was a super senior she stayed an extra semester and I graduated a semester early so we were together until the very end and we started playing fiddle tunes together we became like um fiddle friends the fiddle <laughs> thank you I <laughs> forgot we were called we were called the fiddle friends and we would do Irish Scottish Celtic tunes throughout college and it was you know I had a lot of classic music that I loved but you know sometimes you do hit a lull because you're like you know Unless I'm doing some extravagant solo piece, nothing is really going to highlight the cello right. the way I want. And when I started playing fiddle music with Taylor, I felt the butterflies in my heart. I felt like the vibrations of the cello sending me, like like I said, with carousel, it just sends the vibrations through my body. And I fell in love with fiddle music. And Salamanca was the last piece Taylor and I ever played at SUNY Oneonta. So it was... Um, it was the last piece of our joint senior recital because we didn't want to do senior recitals by ourselves. And like, you know, as a music student in college, you have to do a senior recital. And we didn't want to do it by ourselves. And especially because we only had a semester left, we're like, we're gonna do this together. And so we did two pieces, two solo pieces each, and then two Celtic pieces first, uh, together. So we started this recital out together, then it was me, then it was Taylor, then it was me and then it was Taylor, and then we ended with this. So this piece is just kind of, it just encompasses so many um, moments. You know, it, it sums up my college career of music, like in general. Um, it's so important to me. It's so beautiful. It tells a beautiful story. It's basically about the town of Salamanca. And, you know, just when you walk through the town of Salamanca, like what you see and what you hear and what you smell and what you taste. And I mean, it's beautiful and again, you know, like the Ola Galo piece that we talked about previously, it is, I only have two videos on my Instagram of me playing the cello, and it's of Ola Galo with Tim Newton, my professor, and Salamanca of me and Taylor. Um, it's fun, it's lively, and it's just one of my favorite pieces ever. Um, how, how recent is Salamanca? The piece? Yeah. Or is it old? It's not old. <laughs> Um, because when I was listening to oh, me, I have to look that up now. To me, it felt like very modern. Mm -hmm. Um, and like it, like you said, it's very lively. I wrote that it's very like dancey, mm -hmm. and it reminded me a lot of like hip hop. It like at moments it kind of sounded like rap music mm -hmm. and folk music fused together. Yeah, it was released um, in two thousand seven. Oh yeah, so it's it is very modern, but mm -hmm. so it kind of reminded me a lot of like. 
it almost reminded me of like if you threw a rap beat behind like Celtic folk music. <laughs> yeah, um, which no, I, it's awesome. I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, and I really, I really enjoyed this piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't boy. have much else to uh, <laughs> stereotypical. Um, so I guess we're gonna end with yours. Let's bring this on home. We always do. Um, <laughs> my last pick was um, "Lech Me Shimarsh" by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. <laughs> to lick me in the ass. Lek me arsh. Um, lek me shar. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, you said it weird. I tried to do an accent. <laughs> um, I'm like, uh, what's the guy? This just is like the epitome of Mozart being the man child he is, like we talked about before. I mean, I kind of, I kind of, so my first exposure to this song was, oh um, the Insane Clown Posse <laughs> <laughs> and Jack White did a song oh together my God. that sampled this song. Um, and it has, it like starts off with it like very solemn and then the the Insane Clown Posse comes in and they're just kind of like, yo, you know anything about Mozart? And he's like, yeah, he was deaf, wasn't he? No, that was Beef Oven. Beef Oven. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh no! But that Mozart guy, he was fucking filthy. He <laughs> and, was. and they um, rap over this. Jack White gives some distorted guitars, and it's fun. It's mm-hmm. silly. That was my first exposure. But even like kind of listening now, it's funny to listen to it done by like a choir. Yeah, because it's almost done like it, it is a silly piece, and you mm-hmm. get that listening to Mozart it. Mozart was a very, very silly composer. A lot of his operas are comedies. Um, but I think when you yeah. listen to it done modernly, you know there is sort of that sort of stigma where it's like, oh, this is a guy. He wrote a lot of the most famous, most you know respected music of all time. We have to take it well. Seriously. Back then, he wasn't. He died a peasant. He right. Died, no, I know that. Yeah. I I was Mozart oh, in a play, remember? <laughs> right, right. I'm the expert. <laughs> Watch him out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, so like, but I think that like when we listen to Mozart today, it's the same way like we think of Shakespeare. Shakespeare's loaded with, you know, fart and wiener and dick jokes. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, where, you know, it's kind of regarded as this like, oh, t- alas, poor Yorick. You know, we kind of assign that same sincerity to Mozart, where this is just sort of a funny piece, mm-hmm. you know, where he's just kind of like, all right, you know, I'm going to mess around and write a song about right. eating ass. Yeah. Um, and from something I've seen on TikTok, apparently Mozart... Um, was into much more than eating ass. Yeah. Um, apparently... He was a horny, silly, stupid motherfucker is what he was. Right. But apparently his... Uh, I don't want to kink shame Mozart, <laughs> but um, apparently he would have gotten down to two girls, one cup. 
Um, he was filthy. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of, I wanted to close on this because I think it's silly. And I, yeah. I like. And I've I, been an emotional wreck this entire time talking about true. all the things that I love because my heart leaks, but you know. But I think that it's important to kind of, you know, kind of break down sort of these sacred institutions. And I think kind of like you've said to me where you're like, oh, yeah, there was a, uh, you know, you've said it a bunch, like a bunch of gay horny dudes, you know, Drink getting drunk and making music. Right. Same sort of thing with Mozart being like, all right, I'm going to make a song about eating ass. You know, it might as well be a fucking Aerosmith song. I mean, think about it. This was this was their modern music of the day. So, like, this was their everything. Like, this was, just like you said, you know, like, this is what we listen to today. But yeah. we always this hold these composers in, like, a, you know, highbrow kind of way when they were just as insane just as drunk just as silly and, and mozart died at like 35 right yes he i died know very young 40 year olds that are not very mature <laughs> um. and like granted like i know that amadeus is a complete stretch of the truth but the silliness and hyperactivity that i think he's portrayed in that, that movie i think is absolutely true he was true. very crazy very insane very childish right. thinking he wants he, he can only be the best and we still put and Mozart salieri on a did murder him <laughs> poor salieri <laughs> man that poor well guy. that was also the guy from american not american pie animal house was yes. mozart which is great yes um but yeah so i i wanted to close on something kind of lighthearted and good fun. you should have um, <laughs> but um yeah, those are all the songs. Do you have any? I don't have any honorable mentions because um, I was already stretching. I think Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Five is always going to be an honorable mention. Okay, we'll go out on that. <laughs> all right, <laughs> why well, not? All right, well, babe, thanks for thanks, doing babe. This. this is fun. Um, let's have another beer. Let's have oh, you finished yours? I still have half of mine. I'll jam out with you next time. I'll jam Bye. out with you next time. Bye. <laughs> This has been a Lughole Podcast. <laughs>